0: Some people had more time on their hands. And people who did have time on their hands realized that doing all of these things, figuring out your career roadmap, your resume, your LinkedIn, et cetera, that's stuff that ideally you do before you're thrown into a job search. Because you never know what some former colleague or someone on LinkedIn is going to slide into your inbox and have a cool opportunity for you. So
1: Welcome to the Unlearned Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start
2: small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly.
1: Welcome to the Unlearned Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Duty, a UX researcher and designer, but also the founder and CEO of the Career Strategy Lab, a program that helps UX and product professionals at all career stages navigate the job search, and articulate their skills and experience to help them grow. It's been fascinating watching her build her business over the last number of years. As someone who's passionate about personal development, she's taken it to a whole new level, using her own experiences to help others find their ideal job, create social mobility, increase their salaries, skills, and opportunities. She's also passionate about helping others learn and grow, and has brought this to life throughout the Career Strategy Lab. This podcast, she talks about her own personal journey, what helped her figure out what she was meant to be doing today and why, and fascinating twists and turns along the way. You're really going to enjoy this show. If you're interested in getting better and hearing about stories that other people have, Sarah's the perfect person to listen to. So let's get started and hear how it all began for her.
0: When I think back, I realized that I've always been designing my career, and I think at the time it was kind of subconscious or also a survival mechanism. And by that, I mean, early in my career, in the early 2000s, I was living in New York City, working for different startups and things. And one of them was a fairly immature startup and the other one was a lot more established. But kind of a common theme came up in both of those companies And I would summarize it as, no one knew what to do with me. <laughs> like, you think back to the early 2000s, 2007 or that's an early seven to (laughs) like 20 2010 or something like that ux existed people knew what it was but i would say it was still very early back then oh yeah a lot of people right and i wasn't just a ux person i always had my hands or wanted to have my hands in, in everything like the marketing the sales that's why i say i think people didn't know what to do with me. And so, because of that, I was constantly trying to design my role at the companies, if you will, and kind of justify my existence, for lack of a better word. I remember like making pretty much product roadmaps, but for my own career back then, because in hindsight, I think I just felt like no one understands me. So, if I just design it all and make like a <laughs> a nice plan mm-hmm. in OmniGraph or whatever we used back then. Yeah, nice.
1: <laughs> to OmniGraph. That was good. Yeah, nice. Or
0: Visio before that. <laughs> so I've always been designing my career. And there was one kind of specific moment in one of these companies where I literally made a 20-slide keynote presentation of like where I was in that moment basically crafted my own job description and pitched them the role I should be doing at the company. And then right. there was a bunch of slides about like where I wanted to be in 10 years, almost like a vision board. And Marissa Mayer was on it, all these people. That's one moment for sure.
1: I love that though, right? First of all, it sets great context for people. I joined ThoughtWorks in 2010 and I still remember the day I walked in there. It was a real like engineering culture, like literally. If your job title wasn't engineer, you were literally asked, So what do you do? So if you're not writing code, are you actually doing anything? There was always this sort of weird thing, right? I always consider myself a failed engineer. I studied coding, but I I didn't really enjoy it. If I did it five days a week, there was one day where I sort of was like, Oh, I felt like I was in like a flow state. The four other four days, I hated it. But I naturally gravitated more towards product design because I liked figuring out like what we should be building, not how to build what we needed to do. And that was really right. fascinating for me. And, and I still remember when we tried to like start hiring designers into the company, literally people didn't know what to do with them. They literally were sitting in the team going, hi, I'm a designer and, and the engineers would go, that's great. And not know what to do. It resonates so much when you're describing this because at this time, I think it's important for people to understand like. There wasn't, not even it, still, we're still struggling to get good definitions in these spaces and understandings, but it was not a known discipline, but people like yourself who were curious and loved to design and create everything from a service experience right through to actually creating mock-ups and prototyping things, right? Like that was such a great skill, but we didn't really know how to incorporate that into engineering. I always felt at the time it was still like a new discipline. It's funny, like, you're just reminding me of all that time. The, the, and interestingly, the person who went on, who was the first, what we would now probably call a UX designer at ThoughtWorks, went on to become the CEO of all of Europe. Because he oh, was wow. one of these people, much like you're describing, who just would throw himself into everything, from designing experiences, to understanding how things work, to taking them apart. It's fascinating. Anyway, that was one thing that sort of struck me as you were sharing your story there.
0: Do you think part of it is, because for me, I think in hindsight, I'm a very systems thinker. And I think that makes me really good at, at what I do today. And I think back then it was that systems brain that I didn't know what to do with, kind of spotting problems and opportunities in sales, in marketing, in product, in engineering even but like not having the authority or permission to bring them to life like there was always this angst you know what i mean
1: yeah it resonates massively because as you're sort of alluding to i think that is such a core skill when i think of design it's not not just designing products it's designing processes it's designing Mm -hmm. onboarding experiences for people when they like everything is an experience to be understood, to know what the needs are, and then to create a solution that creates this great experience. And as you have obviously figured out and coach people on, it's this notion that you can design lots of things, whether it's products or it's processes. Again, it's one of the reasons why Luke, who actually went on to be CEO, I think is that's why why he ended there in that respect. Like That's how he ended on that path is because the company was growing. When I joined, it was like a couple of hundred people. Six years later, we were like into like tens of thousands. And so Mm -hmm. much of it was like designing hiring systems, designing sales systems, designing, right, it was just endlessly figuring out how the structures and the systems and processes would work that we could go and build products for people. It's interesting that you, the way you tried to communicate that at the time So tell us a little bit how that landed, because it sounds like you're using these design tools to sort of describe the vision of where you think you can contribute to a company at the time, where at a time where people aren't even familiar with that as a way of describing what their future might look like. So tell us more about that. How did that go in the first instance and what inspired you to start there?
0: In the first instance, I was originally hired in as the director of product development at, I don't even know how old I was, but i didn't have any director title ever. It was a small startup, so anyone could be called anything. It didn't matter, Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So
0: I basically created wireframes. I made investor decks that like had pixel-perfect screens tailored to, if an investor was coming, we would tailor the experience of the website to that person with an interest-based like, social network, because that was cool back in 2007. I said to them, we can't just have these investors here. Like we have to make these wireframes and so it's their real website with like their hobby of learning to fail or something on the website. So even then, I think, my God, I was designing these experiences for these investors like they were users of a website. So that worked out. I was there for a couple of years and it was a small startup that just ended up kind of imploding. Then I went to a a larger not actually larger in people, but they had a ton more money. And I thought, okay, well, more money must equal like smarter yeah, but, people Yeah, we must something. get more stuff done now, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, great.
0: So I was like, again, the first UX or first UX person there involved, again, making like sales decks to get advertisers and get investors and all this stuff. And, and now that I'm talking about this with you, I think... One of the reasons why maybe I've always had my hands in everything is the stage at which I joined the companies. Because when you join a company with four or five under 10 people and you're good at what you do, you're going to get roped in to other things of that things. are beyond your job description. <laughs>
1: Damn right. Yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. So I was at that company for a while. And in both of those companies, now that I'm like debriefing on this, I kind of got juggled around like my managers switched at least two or three times in both of those companies. I was like tossed over to the engineering team because they thought, oh, maybe she can just live with the engineers in one of the companies. I was actually sent to Seattle for six weeks (laughs) with a (laughs) bunch of engineers. And I got this fancy corporate apartment. They paid for this apartment. I think so I would just get out of their hair in New York because they were so annoyed with me or something. There's also personality issues, you know, like there's a small company and all these type A people and they just sent me to Seattle to basically quarantine myself and some engineers to build this new product. Ultimately, I ended up, Leaving that company, because I remember it was a Friday afternoon. I was sitting at this desk in this open concept office that we had on Park Avenue in New York. I remember looking down and we had these like family style desks, and it was just one long desk, like you would I don't know, like a White House banquet or something. I remember overhearing a bunch of people at the other end of the table discussing all this UX and product stuff. and, In my head, I thought, I'm not coming back here on Monday. Like, this is the moment that it's over for me. So I picked up the few little things I had on my desk, left early, obviously, emailed the founder on the weekend and was like, I'm not coming back on Monday. (laughs) And to this day, he and I are still great friends. We see each other every now and then. But that's what I did. And then... They ended up hiring me to be a consultant after I left because they were in a pinch because I guess they realized they needed me. <laughs> that's how that one ended. But, but part of it too was me realizing that I really should just pursue the thing I want to do, which is like freelance and have my own company. So that's how I ended up leaving the safety net of a full-time employer and left without a plan. I had some savings, but I was still living an expensive life in New York as like with my own apartment and stuff, you know, as a single person. So that was a definite leap. That was a moment. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure, right? Again, there, I always think the infection points too as well. You get the insight. Obviously, you've described that great great experience you had. Where you, well, maybe not a great experience, but it was the trigger, if you will, to make the step. But also like hearing you talk about it, it's also you figuring out, actually having more conviction about what you want to spend your time on. That's often very hard for people to have the moment where they're triggered to say, right, like this is not the place I want to stay in, but also have the sort of conviction to say, well, what I want is something different and it's it's actually something I'm going to go and create for myself. That's a lot of leaps in sort of a condensed period of time for many folks. How did you help Yourself figure out, obviously, you wanted to step away from where you were and you had a little, as you say, a little bit of runway to sort of figure it out. So, what did you go about doing then to start shaping the future to a lot of what you're doing today, in essence, of designing your, not just your career, but it's almost your life? Like, I know you've gone like right to the extremes of this stuff. Yeah. As you sort of continue it. So, just tell people how you took those first few steps to get yourself on that
2: trajectory?
0: Yeah, so when I first quit that job, I knew, okay, I need to start making money. And I did have a small audience on Twitter. I cannot remember if I had my newsletter or not. I think I started my newsletter two years after I quit that job. So my primary source of leads for work was Twitter. I mean, I don't really remember being that active on LinkedIn back then. But I just focused on building my network and figuring out what my offering would be, because I think a lot of people go into consulting or freelance and just say, oh, yeah, I do UX. But that's kind of like walking into Costco with no list. And I always say to people, if you want to do consulting or freelance, you kind of need to think of what is your fast food restaurant menu, like your in and out menu. One of those restaurants that doesn't have 50 things on the menu, but has three. Because if you just say you do freelance UX, no one knows what they should hire you for. But if you say, in my case, I got to the point where on my website, I had like, I do UX audits, I do prototypes, and I do, I forgot what else it was. And it was very clear And that also helped to minimize the amount of like back and forth discussions and email and schmoozing type stuff to figure out what the heck people wanted, because now they could just say, I want the UX audit of my onboarding. And I'm like, great, let's get started. So that was really, really important in getting that consulting chapter off the ground for me, especially, like I said, when I didn't have a huge audience. So I had to make sure that if people did stumble across me, they had a decision right in front of them rather than just like the Costco of UX services.
1: Oh, this is such a great tip. It's so funny, right? Like it's like this question when you ask somebody like, what do you do, right? You're like, you just, you know, let me count the ways. But the ability to actually have clarity and say, these two or three things are what I'm doing for this, this business. If you want to frame it in that respect, even just listening to you describe that as when people do discover you, that they have this clarity to go, oh, right, there's a UX audit, there's a prototype or option three. Oh, I, I need option one. Talk about cutting through the noise and getting to like meaningful conversations. Again, intuitive to you, but it's, it's sometimes hard for people to realize how much benefit that brings them if they sort of have focus and say, I love Dean and Burger." Our, our CEO of always uses this <laughs> similar thing. He's like, what's the, the beginning menu for the product? You know, what's the two things it does? But it's so important. Sometimes I think it's one of these contrary things sometimes where people feel like when they're starting out, they almost have to list the wealth of things that they can do, that I can do all these things, but that actually makes it even harder for people to figure out how they can help them. I just like that. How did you help land on those initial options, if you will?
0: Right. You know, I can't remember if someone approached me about doing UX audits or if I just came up with that on my own, but Clearly, I did a couple and then thought to myself, I need to like formalize this and kind of productize it. And that's when I thought, "Okay, this needs to be a thing on my website with its own page. It's probably still there. I couldn't even tell you the URL, but I don't really market them anymore. But I might actually start doing it as an experiment. And then the prototypes, if you think of the context of the time, this was 2010, 2014, 15-ish in New York lots of startup activity happening there. And so a lot of people wanted to make prototypes to try and raise money or hire people or yeah. do usability testing. And what I really liked was, I liked the speed of working with those companies because I was so indoctrinated into startup world. And I also think it satisfied my very curious brain of getting to work in many different industries from travel to healthcare to finance to Mm -hmm. psychology. So I had a lot of fun doing that. You know, I still do UX and research. It's just for my own company. I do miss just diving into other people's companies because I could just tell them all the ideas and I don't have to worry about like, how do you execute it? Whereas my company, I'm like, we have an idea list of 80 things. And now I have to eat my own words and prioritize.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny.
0: Your question made me realize that the whole like fast food menu thing of how I organize my consulting services, that ties directly into what I do in this career strategy lab I run. Because if you're a job seeker, or even if you're not looking for a job, it's so useful to have some type of elevator pitch of you, right? And if you went to 50 people's LinkedIn's right now that are say UX researchers or product designers, they're all going to say some variation of, I like to solve problems that impact people and change the world and solve business problems, you know, and it's like, and save the world. It's so cliche. It's so boring. It's so boilerplate. And what, In the heck does that actually mean? And these people are selling themselves short. And just like if someone came to my website, they wouldn't know what I could do for them and what my benefits are. These candidates are underselling themselves because, like, a lot of people switch into the world of UX product tech from other industries. And if you don't mention that you were a teacher for 10 years with a master's in education, I'm not going to know that. I think what we're getting at is this idea of narrowing and niching down a little bit is very strategic, I think. Obviously, you can't necessarily do that when you're just starting out. But as your career evolves, I think you're going to have natural interests and gravitate towards certain industries or things within you know, your profession.
1: Yeah, it's great. That's why I sort of enjoy these tipping moments or I'm learning things as you say, the beginning of your career, it's almost like get yourself as much opportunities and exposure simply because then you can figure out what it is you may like to enjoy. But then there's this weird moment whenever it is for people where actually being able to describe the things that you enjoy the most and do probably the best and give you all the energy that you described from the the aspects you enjoy whether it's working with startups to create prototypes fast or see lots of different domains like it's a really important transition why well, you're a great person to talk about this is because you you live this you practice it it's you've built businesses around it you teach other people how to go through this with designing their own career to me like that's the most fascinating part about it is right like starting as you know a classic designer and yet the design problem is very much around individuals and them actually finding purpose and reward and ultimately recognition for what they do, right? Like I constantly see people who work with you get better jobs. They're rewarded for what they're worth. They find ways to talk about skills that they have, that they're comfortable with, where before maybe they, they found it difficult to say, Hey, is this relevant? Like your 10 years of teaching before you became a designer, like these are like really important skills to create social mobility. They give people confidence. They help them show confidence up as a best so person huge. as yourself. So tell us then how, how sort of aha moment struck you. And then just more about like the community you keep building in this space. It's a massive yeah. community now and it's, it's <laughs> awesome.
0: It's very meta. And it, every now and then I have these moments and it's just kind of like, how did this all happen? Because if someone had told me I would be doing this 10 years ago, I would not have believed them, you know? So how the heck did I end up here? The short story is I was doing the consulting, having a great time, really liked it. But it started to inhibit the life I wanted to live because I would look at my calendar and see I have a meeting like downtown, uptown, in New Jersey. Oh, now I have to fly to Atlanta. And it was that classic problem of just calendar overbooking. Yeah, ruining your life. Yeah, totally. It was ruining my life. And I was doing so much design work with my mouse and on planes and bad ergonomics. And I started to get shoulder issues. And I thought, I am too young for this. I don't want my life to be meetings. So at that time, I was also kind of listening to a lot of podcasts about entrepreneurs and how they started different businesses. And I really gravitated towards people who had education businesses. And also, I think this stemmed from creating General Assembly's first 12-week UX program back in 2011, which I can't believe was over a decade ago now. (laughs) But I think that's when my wheels started turning. And I thought, okay, well, I could be the UX education person. So I started to dabble in online classes, in-person workshops, and trying to figure out what works in-person, online. What can I borrow from each of those environments? Then I actually created an entire research course called User Research Mastery, which still exists today. Pretty on the back burner, though. But then the funny part of this whole story is my inbox was getting Flooded with emails. How do I make a portfolio? How do we get hired? I need a portfolio. And this might sound harsh, but I really did think if you can't figure this out, like good luck getting a job and succeeding. Because I think it was part of that thing where when you're personally good at something, you can't wrap your head around why someone else can't figure this out. (laughs) And half of my life was making decks of research presentations and findings and I just thought like this is part of your job make a deck you know I had this special folder in my email it's probably still there and I would just put all these emails in there and I thought I'll either reply someday or at least I won't see them and then like it sounds so harsh but this is really what I was thinking and then it finally got to the point where I thought I'm so sick of this question I'm going to make a workshop for $29 and sell it, teach it one day for 45 minutes, and no one will ever talk to me about this again. Long story short, the workshop gets 85 registrations in 24 hours. I turn on a wait list, I teach it, people start to get hired. And then in the feedback survey, they said, Can you do it again, but make it four weeks long, not 45 minutes? So that was the evolution of me going. All in sort of on this portfolio course. And that portfolio course ran, I taught it live so many times, I could say it in my sleep. And then I started, I recorded it and put it on demand. And then, as you might guess, which I didn't at the time, people then needed help with their resume and their job search and everything else. So from 2017 until 2021, I taught various classes on all of those topics independently. And then in 2021, I rolled it all into this six-month, I call it a career or job search accelerator or incubator, like startup incubators. And it's called Career Strategy Lab. And you join this, and then we go through creating all kind of the assets you need for your job search. And then, yeah, like you said, people end up getting hired at We've had people hired at Blue Origin, HP, Intel, Microsoft, Salesforce, like Wells Fargo, TD Bank, Capital One. So it's really cool, you know, when I say all that, to just think how that happened because it was a lot of hard work, but it was also a heck of a lot of strategy that I was just naturally applying to the whole seven years or whatever it's been.
1: It's amazing. That's why it's just been a joy to watch it from the sidelines, just see yeah. all of the systems come to life. Kudos to you. I can't say that enough. Like it's a joy to watch. But also to see the results, creating social mobility for all these people, helping them like figure out what they actually want to do and enjoy, and then actually creating better opportunities for them. It's yeah tangible. Not many people get to build products where they really can see how they're helping their users. And yet <laughs> I you think you're in such a great space to do that and are doing that, And it's kind of fun to, well, it's one of the reasons I had to get you on to talk about it because <laughs> I think it's just great what you're doing. The way you've went about it and the results of it, I think are, are fantastic. Yeah. What have been some of the biggest ahas for you along the way? You know, as you describe it, especially listening to the earlier part of the show where you're you were sharing your own experiences as, as a systems designer, how it's uh-huh. he, evolved into what you're doing today, especially over the last one or two years, maybe even the transition to remote and how many more people are working remotely now, like one or two of the things that you sort of went, oh, that's kind of interesting trend that's emerged or something that you thought would work out one way, but actually turned out the other.
0: I think one of the biggest insights for me, just like as a designer and curious about people, and I think Interesting about myself too is I'm very analytical and kind of practical and technical. I think you could say I'm also very creative, but when it comes to getting stuff done, like making your resume, I have made almost the gold standard yeah. <laughs> based on whatever it tells me in the course of like the instruction, the templates, the examples, et cetera, to follow to do this. And so When people join this program and then they end up not making a resume and they complain about it, and I log into the back end and see they never watched the videos or they never submitted anything for like review, I'm just like, you had all the ingredients. Like, I can't be your mom and do it for you. You know, that has taken me a few years to wrap my head around because there's two parts to it. Part one for me is realizing everyone in life needs to take personal responsibilities, And these people are not paying me enough to call them every morning and coax them to write a resume. The other side of it is recognizing that people need the mechanics and instructions, et cetera, to do things. But to your point of what has happened to us socially over the last three years or whatever it's been now. I think people are feeling more isolated, more self-conscious, more low confidence, nervous, and then pile on the economy to everything. And I really didn't initially design this. I didn't design community and mindset stuff into this program into the beginning. But one of the things people like the most is the community and are these calls and things. So... I've really spent a lot of time designing from the ground up what that means and finding the right people to do that because, A, I don't have time and, B, it's not my personality to, like, be super warm and fuzzy in the community. I'm like, no, just follow the instructions and make your resume. It's also just the tricky thing of I'm the one that made all that material and I, I'm just like, it's all right there. Just bake the cake, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's been a big kind of shift I needed to make in the. We call people clients in this program, not students. So in the client experience, and just evaluating my skills as a business owner and coach and whatever other yeah. titles I have these days, and finding the right people to come alongside me. In terms of like how we fared during the pandemic, we were not affected because. Some people had more time on their hands. And people who did have time on their hands realized that doing all of these things, figuring out your career roadmap, your resume, your LinkedIn, etc., that's stuff that ideally you do before you're thrown into a job search. Because you never know what some former colleague or someone on LinkedIn is going to slide into your inbox and have a cool opportunity for you. So a lot of people we're doing this proactively. And then the other kind of amazing finding that came out of all this, well, there's kind of two tied together. I initially started all this because I realized boot camps were failing a lot of people on the get hired part of the promise. And naturally, this initially attracted a lot of very junior people. But the longer I've done this, now I realize the task of getting all your career stuff together never goes away. Doesn't matter what career stage you're at. And you're still going to have self-doubt about it, whether you've been working in the field for 20 years or one year. If I had to write a resume tonight, I know I would sit there and probably sell myself short and question things. And my coaches would critique and say, you know, here's all things you messed up or you're not coming across as confident in. So seeing that the need for this at all stages of the career was really mind-blowing, but then in the community, it's so incredible when you have these people that have been working in UX for like 20, 25 years, interacting with someone who's trying to get their first UX job, you think it's not going to work, but it's really, I mean, beautiful is kind of a word I would use to describe it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in some of your comments there, What I'm always fascinated by is, especially as someone who's like leading and founding these businesses, being honest with yourself to say, this is the stuff I'm great at, and this is where I need help and the people that build around me. Right? Like it's such an important trait of business building. These are really important traits. It helps you keep growing this business. When you create the structure and the, the system to allow the magic happen that you're describing then where you have people who are experienced, able to like connect with people who are starting their journey. Who doesn't want to help one another when they're in an environment where they felt they've been helped? So you've gone from good to great. Why can't you help someone go from zero to good? There's a, a great thing that sort of happens there, which again, like you have to design it in. You have to create the opportunity for that to happen and you're doing it. That's why I always like to underline those things because sometimes I think people think it just, all right, we'll just throw them all in the Slack group and it will work. Or we'll just throw, (laughs) you know, like it's very like an action, just suddenly expecting to create a chain reaction, but it doesn't work like that, right? Just thought about creating the, as you say, the structure, the system to allow the magic happen. And there are ingredients to it as you're describing. So I just like underlining those points when people like yourself share them. Because it's not so much serendipity in these things. There's thought behind it.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I just wish I could do a screen share and like show everyone what I've created, not to brag, but more (laughs) as like a lesson in design. Because sure, anyone can open a Slack community, great. But how do you foster that community? What rules do you put in place for posting so that it doesn't become like a free for all? Then outside of the client experience, we have this whole basically like no code coaching software that I've built basically a largely an Airtable, which yeah, I am, I've seen
1: it. It's awesome. Yeah. Like it's, it's so good. wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so good. And we like have so many things in there. We are sitting on so much data and it allows us to identify problems before they're really big and react and make data driven decisions and have that gut check. Cause you know, like I said, we do have an idea list of probably a hundred things or something. But it's fun to wear that UX hat alongside the business hat. And I think one of the things that I wish like so many UX people could and product people, anyone that works in this field could really understand is The gigantic weight it is to be the owner of something, whether it's like the owner of a process or a company or what have you. But I know for a fact that there are UX flaws all over my website, in the (laughs) curriculum. Like I can't stand certain navigation things in the curriculum, but it's not my fault because it's built on Teachable and I'm not in charge of Teachable. And some people really do email me and say, You're a UX designer. I expect so much more in this UX. How could you? How dare you? You're not perfect, you know? And it amazes me because I think, oh, this person just has no idea, you know. And I think they'd have so much more empathy if we sought to understand like the weight that lies on people like me to try and prioritize all the things we want to do in the business, you know, you just can't do it all and everything comes with a cost. So it's a fun, it's stressful hat to wear sometimes. Right. And then when I can't take it, I like go make social media graphics in Canva to feel better. Nice. <laughs> it's my drug. It's a,
2: it's a good, I need a good t-shirt funnel.
0: that says my t-shirt needs to say like Canva is my drug or something. Maybe Canva can sponsor this <laughs> episode. <laughs> oh that's great (laughs) it's so
1: funny when you describe that literally yesterday this is a funny point I think as well it's like it's tough it's tough actually being the as you say owner leader of these things because especially when you put yourself up there in those positions every interaction is up for critique yeah I was thinking about this yesterday right because when you're on a daily job you're like in a meeting, like, I don't know, whatever, for me, it's like, I'm talking to an investor, I'm helping teams make a yeah. tough product decision. Somebody sends me a pointed Slack message on a channel that's 150 people are on. How do I reply to it in a meaningful way next there's an email that you need to respond to, like the level of keeping yourself in a place where you can not react and like write meaningful responses to everything. That's why I would spend a lot of time on Canva if I found a better outlet like that. So shout out to all those, everyone going through that. I feel it, you know?
0: One of the other big changes I had to design into my life really is recognizing that I can't do it all. I can't reply to every social media message. I can't reply to every email. I can't go on every podcast. And so recognizing and then setting those boundaries, I think is so important. And it applies even if you're not a business owner and you're at a job with team members and things like that. You can still create those boundaries because if you don't create those boundaries it leads to burnout and you start seeing it kind of seep into other areas. You treat your colleagues bad or your friends or your family bad. And it's so I think recognizing that's really important. Like we just launched this podcast. yeah. And did I listen to every episode? Heck no. Were there things I know we're going to do different later? Yes. But I just kept thinking to myself, this is fine for V1. Keep going, you know? So it's just learning to let go. And unlearn, right?
1: (laughs) Right on. That's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, and I did want to ask you, like, what you're excited about for the future. So tell people about the podcast you've launched. I think it's going to be great for people to tune in and listen to, like, your inspiration for it.
0: Yeah. So we launched this podcast called Career Strategy Podcast because we run the Career Strategy Lab. So now there's a lab and a podcast. I wanted to experiment with podcasting, first of all, but also it is a very strategic marketing move because it's not just a podcast. Every episode, we use the video as a YouTube video, then to create social media content on Instagram and YouTube, etc. And so I resisted doing a podcast for a long time because I didn't just want to make a podcast and have each episode kind of just out there. I wanted to repurpose it like crazy So now I have the team in place to do that. And I think the timing ended up being really, really excellent because not everyone can afford to join this career strategy lab. And it's another free way for people to learn from me. And business-wise, it's a way to help people learn about me. So maybe they do join the career strategy lab someday.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's going to be great. I think it's another great example of like, using your time and then finding ways to leverage this. Certainly going to be signing up and joining and listening and sending in my resume at some point. I'm sure by will find the future to get it sorted out.
0: <laughs> and we did this thing, which time will tell if this was strategic or not strategic, but we released all 12 episodes at once, mainly because I didn't want to have to hear about the podcast for three months, you know? So we just did it all in like eight weeks we'll do another season. I just don't know when. So you can listen to all of them. The other reason is I'm doing a book. I don't know if you know this. I'm doing a book with Rosenfeld called The Product of You. That'll come out next year sometime, TBD. Uh, but uh. the podcast will be useful because for the book, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be doing some interviews mm-hmm. with people. And so we'll use those interviews as podcast content. So it's, it's a whole machine I've designed. (laughs) Another system.
1: (laughs) That's it. I'd expect nothing less. Listen, it's great. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. For anyone who listens, they're going to take so much away around systems design, their own personal focus areas and the chances to build businesses and leverage their time. It's been great to hear all your stories. Thank you. The podcast will be great. The book will be amazing. I can't tell people enough to go check out Career Strategy Lab, if you're thinking about where you might want to go differently in your life or just get better where you're at. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate you.
0: Thanks for having me. This was awesome.
2: Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies, from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years. And who knows how many beyond that? So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign and I'd be honoured if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.